0: We're going to be looking at a message I call from all sin in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. The Bible says, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Cleanses us from all sin sin now this word in the Greek is from uh, the word catharsis and it is a word that has made its way over into English as ours has catharsis means to cleanse or to make clean or to purify it originally carried with it the idea of cleaning something uh, by getting the bad stuff out you know there's such a thing as uh, something like a piece of glass, for example, uh, that has something wrong, uh, kind of like our sound does right now kind of i don 't know what 's going on guys uh, sound like i 'm in a barrel here or worse. Um, <clears throat> There's there's something wrong, and you look at a piece of glass, for example. There's something on it. Well, it's not in the glass. It's just on it, and you just have to wipe it away, and everything's fine. Something on a counter that you just have to wipe away. That's fine. But then sometimes uh, there are things that are deep inside, like a wound, for example. Uh, That has to be cleansed There's bad things on the inside Sometimes it has to be surgically done I'm not going to go a long way with that Uh, There's a show on television that's all about it And some of you can't even stand to watch it And some of you can't look away while it's on Uh, But um, uh, cleansing by getting the bad stuff out In verse 8 and 9 he goes on and says If we say that we have no sin We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. There it is twice. Same word, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, now this word was famously used by uh, Aristotle whose influence on the world of the first century or this ancient world was unquestionable. Uh, Aristotle discussed the feeling that you have after reading a, a dramatic piece of literature. And you read this book and you get all involved in it and you can't put it down. And then suddenly you get to the end and everything is worked out and you close the book with a sigh uh, now the, the feeling wasn't real Okay, the drama wasn't real, though it really Felt like it when you was reading it And uh, i tell you what, I was a big fan Of Louis L'Amour And and uh, man, old Lash, whoever The Sutton, Satin, somebody uh, Would be in the midst Of a terrible situation And, and the desperados would have him uh, All surrounded and, and cornered Up in some back end of a canyon Somewhere, and there was absolutely no way out It just looked like everything was going to fall But uh, sure enough, by uh, the end of the last page. Well, uh, Lash had gotten all out, and the desperadoes were usually all dead. And, and if they weren't dead, they soon would be. I mean, that was Lily Lamour. You could close the book, everything was fine, had that sigh. The drama wasn't real, the resolution wasn't real, but the feeling that feeling was very real. That was the word that's used in this passage a cleansing. A catharsis, uh, a feeling of resolution, a situation has been dealt with, everything seems fine. Therapists and counselors all speak of this in terms of getting people to deal with their anger, their fear, their repressed emotions, and the hurtful things maybe that uh, happen to them that cause these things. When people bring these things out and deal with them, yeah, it's a form of cleansing. Uh, They're getting the bad stuff out physical usages obviously in reference to sickness or infections or wounds that have to be cleansed but our text tonight is dealing with a different kind of cleansing a spiritual cleansing that cleanses us from all sin and from all unrighteousness in a way sin and unrighteousness seem like the same thing at best they're kind of like heads and tails of the same coin It is perhaps best to understand them as a cause and effect where sin is the cause and unrighteousness is the effect. Sin is what we do. Unrighteousness then is the effect of that, that lingering effect that comes about because of sin and if you're a bloodbought child of God you know about that lingering feeling of remorse and regret that hangs around the sin caused it the unrighteousness then that feeling of sinfulness of of, of dirtiness of filthiness that unrighteousness is what remains verse 7 then refers to a continuing or ongoing cleansing but the one thing that we know about all of this whether it's in the physical world in the emotional world or in the spiritual world is that for the most part the feelings are temporary uh, we may bring up feelings that have tormented us or a problem that has troubled us and uh, you may cry it out uh, especially if you're female Uh, No offense, Uh, guys generally don't cry things out very well, although occasionally, yes, even we can. But generally, nobody knows it and we'll never admit it. Right, guys? That's the way it is. Sorry. We may cry it out and feel better. We may talk it out and feel better. But just because we've cried something out or talked something out and we feel better, that doesn't mean that feeling better is going to hang around. The, the feeling is tempor- temporary, and the problem, the problem, a lot of times, is still real. And so when the Bible talks to us about the cleansing from all sin that comes to us through Jesus Christ, we understand that it's not like a good cry. It's not like talking something out with a good friend. It's not like reading a good book. The blood of Jesus Christ offers ongoing Cleansing, so that the cleansing from all sin is continuing and is very, very real. I once listened to a a message by the famous evangelist Hyman Appleman. On a recording He spoke of a time when Charles Finney Was approached by the end of a meeting By a man who wanted him to come to his home And visit with him He was repeatedly warned, Finney was, not to go And of course Finney lived long ago But the man went anyway uh, He was warned that this man was very violent Was one of the most evil men in the community But he went When he entered this man's residence It was very sparsely furnished The man locked the door Behind him And pulled out a pistol. How would you like to be that preacher? The man told Finney, he said, as he laid that pistol down, he said, this pistol has killed four men. Two by my bartender in the next door. uh, And two by my own hand. And he asked him then the question, is there any hope for a man like me? And Finney quoted this passage, "The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin." Then he spoke of that bar. He said, "By the way, that I mentioned I own a bar that sells whiskey, and I own the crooked gambling hall that's next to it, and, and so that I'd sell people liquor and take their money that way, and if I don't get it all that way, he said, I send them over to gambling hall and I take all the rest of it." And steal their money And he asked him Is there any hope for a man like me? Then he responded again The blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin He spoke of how hard he had been on his wife and children How he had a terrible temper How that he had heaped upon them verbal and even physical abuse And he asked him again, is there any hope for a man like me? Finney didn't flinch. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, uh, according to the story, as it was told, the man destroyed his bar and gambling house that very night, burned him down. He went home and he tearfully proclaimed to his wife and daughter that he was now a new man. And the next night of that revival meeting, they said he and his whole family came and made a profession of faith in Christ. That was a wonderful story. But unfortunately, it's sadly incomplete because you and I know the pressure that that man would face. I mean, he'd he'd received Christ as his Savior, yes, but he'd also given up his whole livelihood. And you know, like I know, That the temptation to make easy money would come back. You know, like I know, his friends would appeal to him to come back. People would call him a fool. They'd try to get him to reopen. They'd probably offer to help him rebuild. You know that temptation would be very real. And you know, most of all, that the temper that he had, the terrible temper that caused him to be abusive to his own wife and children, was still there. And it could erupt without warning, unprovoked even. You know it was there. I hope the story ended with a truly changed life and with a lifetime of dedication to Jesus Christ and his cause. But you and I know sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't. You know that people can come forward and make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and it seems that they've changed and maybe they've promised to change. But it doesn't always work out. You and I know that sin is horribly addictive. And yeah, I know I've said that a lot tonight. I'm just talking about how we know some things together. Sin is horribly addictive. It is. According to uh, some statistics I looked up uh, this week about from the Centers for Addiction Control, they said less than a third of people who are clean after a year and struggling with addiction, less than a third who are clean after a year will stay clean for another year. Less than a third. Two-thirds after being clean for a year by contrast, they say that those clean for five years have less than a 15% chance of relapse. That's good news. you ever struggled with an addiction? Uh, I struggled with an addiction to nicotine for many, many years. I can't begin to tell you how many times that I quit. And uh, yet you said you were a preacher. Well, it was a little bit of a different world back then. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I was, I was. I'm not, a, I'm not proud of it. I'm ashamed of it. Uh, I was ashamed of it then. Uh, I quit for three years one time and still went back, and I thought Nancy was going to kill me when she found out. She was very unhappy. Um, addiction is very real. Sin is very, very addictive. The problem then is intensified in the life of the believer because of the battle between the flesh and the spirit uh, the Bible tells us that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit lusteth against the flesh so that we cannot do the things that we want to do what does that mean well we're saved so that means the flesh can't do everything it wants to do uh, but the flesh is still alive so that means the spiritual side of us can't do everything it wants to do either uh, how many times you found yourself trying to read your Bible and you got tired and dozed off well you have, have you started into pray and and the flesh was weak Simon Peter and the other apostles had that experience on the night that Jesus said pray with me and they went to sleep they went to sleep the spirit is willing Jesus said but the flesh is weak the spirit works against the flesh so that the flesh can't do what it wants to do the flesh works against the spirit so that the spirit can't do what it wants to do and this is a problem that is unique to believers lost people don't feel this way at all they don't have this The flesh still has the nature of sin, and Paul described it in in Romans 7 as a conflict between the inward man and the outward man, so that the inner man delights, he says, after the law of God, but the outward man, uh, the fleshly man, is still there, still real, and still delights in sin. Well, our passage tonight gives us some very practical ins- instruction about how we can experience this ongoing and continual spiritual cleansing in our everyday life. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, is continually cleansing. We could literally translate it that way. as continually cleansing us from all sin. First then he talks about the fellowship and I'm not going to belabor this point tonight very long because we talked about the fellowship of believers this morning. Uh, but it is in the text and it's not just there uh, a little bit it's very prominently focused on in the text this sin verse 5 is a message which we have heard of him and declared to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all if we say that we have fellowship with him that is with God and walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another so he's not just talking about our fellowship with God but he's also then talking about our fellowship with one another We have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now certainly there is that place for us speaking about our fellowship with God. But in this passage he's speaking also about our fellowship with us. He says this in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. So there's a sense in which we have fellowship with the eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ because we read and study with them. And that's what John says. What we have seen and heard, we declare unto you. Uh, No, we didn't walk with Jesus, but John did. We didn't have lunch with Jesus, but John did. Uh, We didn't uh, go to bed at night after having spent all day working with Jesus, but John did. You know, we weren't around when he walked on the water, but John was. We weren't there when Lazarus was raised from the dead, but John was. And he says it. What we have seen, what we have heard, we declare unto you so that you also may have fellowship with us. I know it's not quite the same. We all would have loved to have been out there in the boat with them. Wouldn't we have loved to have been there? We'd all have loved to have been out walking on the water with Simon Peter. Wouldn't you have loved to have been out there? I'm, I'm not sure if I'd have wanted to have been out there or not. That was a scary experience. But you know what? I'm glad they were. And I'm glad that Jesus could say to the wind and waves, peace be still. You see, I didn't have to be in the boat with them to know that Jesus can calm the storm. And even more important, that he can calm our hearts in the midst of the storm. So John says, I want you to have fellowship with us. Certainly, we need to have fellowship with God. But then he says, when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Uh, We we need the fellowship of God's people. We do. There's something about about it that helps us in our battle with the flesh and with sin. How many times... Listen to me tonight, how many times have you seen people drop out of church and before long they're back in the world, how many times have you seen it, have you seen it, have y'all seen it over here on this side, I've seen it, yeah, we've seen it many, many times. I've seen it so many times, there has to be a connection. And really, the connection is right here in this passage. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Because we're going to be walking in the light. We're going to be coming to church. I mean, We're going to stay in uh, the fellowship of God's people. And we're going to be interacting with God's people. That's one of the things that makes our current situation such a troubling thing to pastors. Because we're so conditioned to seeing people when they drop out. We know they've got a problem and the chances are they might be getting in trouble. They might be suffering from a spiritual malady. There may be uh, some bad habit that's getting control of their life. They, they may be struggling in ways that we can't see and, and all of this stuff that we're going through now takes all of that away from us. We can't tell how people are doing. Now, I know it doesn't always work that way. People who are regularly coming to church fall into sin a lot. That does happen. I know that. But if we look closer, we'd often see that their fellowship with God's people was either fragmented, inconsistent, or completely fractured all along. Bear one another's burdens, the Bible says. Bear with one another. If you see your brother overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of of meekness. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Look up all the one another sometime in your Bible program and see how many times it shows up in the New Testament. It's all over. One another, one another, one another, one another. There's a fellowship then that's important if we are to enjoy this continual cleansing That the Bible speaks to us about Uh, There's also agreement If we say that we have no sin We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us But if we confess our sin He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins And to cleanse us From all unrighteousness Uh, You know the only way We can ever experience any kind of True cleansing is to speak the truth About the things that are in our hearts And face it squarely Repression is not just something that we talk about It's a lifestyle That has been perfected uh, by many, many Americans and unfortunately by many American Christians. These repressed emotions, unresolved heartaches are devastating to us emotionally and ultimately they even extract a physical toll on our bodies. They can put ulcers in your stomach. They can run your, high, your blood pressure through the roof. There's all kinds of things that these repressed emotions and unresolved feelings can do to us, emotionally, and physically. They're having a rampant effect in America today. There's a lot of people that have been able to control things and hold things in and keep it all together. That all of this stuff is just that they can't keep it together anymore. It's real. The word translated confess in this passage simply means to agree, to agree with. It means that God tells us, or literally to speak the same thing, it means that God tells us this is a sin, and we say to God, yes, I have sinned. We agree, yes, this is a sin. John then speaks to us about the denial that leads to self-deception, A denial that leads to self-deception. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Who knows how many people there are in the world, and perhaps even saved people who are forfeiting their fellowship with God. Not their relationship with God, but their fellowship with God, and their fellowship with God's people, because they refuse to speak the truth about their sin. In fact, John would go on to say that if we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. I mean, it's hard to call God a liar to his face and stay in fellowship with him. You understand what I'm saying? And yet, that's exactly what people are doing all over America tonight as they deny the legitimacy of their own sin. This is, no, there's nothing wrong with this. You ever hear that these days? Sure you do. Well, who am I to judge? Uh, we're not going to, I'm not judging. <laughs> we're, we're just talking about what the Bible says. What God has said to us in his word. When we deny that we have a problem, when we deny that we have sinned, when we deny that we have done anything wrong, we end up with a selfish deception that drives the truth away from us altogether. We're presented then with a simple choice. We either have to confront the problem or get comfortable with it. And we get comfortable with it by denying that we have a problem, of course. Now, Peter warned about this with the same word, and only the, the only difference is that where it's translated cleansing in 1 John, it's translated purged in Simon Peter's writing, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged, cleansed from his old sins. Now, what Peter has been talking about in this passage was how that we need to add certain things to our faith. Uh, We add virtue, brotherly kindness, knowledge, so forth. We add these things to our faith. And that's these things that he is talking about. But he that lacketh these things, in verse 9, is blind and cannot see afar off. Uh, The word there is myopia, nearsightedness. They can't see afar off. uh, They can only see up close. Uh, that is, they only see the things that relate to me, uh, to my desire, to what I want. They don't, don't see anything about how that relates to the kingdom. They don't see anything about how it affects the church. They don't see anything about how it affects their family. They don't see anything about how it affects their friends. All they see is themselves. That is, they are blind. They are uh, spiritually nearsighted. They only see what I want, what I feel, what, how this relates to me and what I want. And because of that, he says, they will forget that they were cleansed from their old sins. This is a chronic problem with American Christians today. Peter then asks us to add to these various things. Because if we do these things, he says, we won't be blind. We won't be barren. We won't be unfruitful. You see, we struggle many times because we see people who have made a profession of faith and, and there's not a trace of it anywhere in their life. I have to tell you tonight that it's very possible that that person may not be saved at all. I can't judge that. Only God knows. But it's possible they may not be saved at all. But if they're saved, they are certainly, where Simon Peter talks about, they have forgotten that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse them from all sin. They've forgotten all about it. They forgot about the, the joy that comes from sins forgiven. So the agreement then, uh, there's a denial that leads to deception, but there is the agreement that leads to cleansing. When we acknowledge our sin, when we speak our sin, when we speak the truth to our sin, and that burden is once again felt in our hearts, we find that God is faithful, ready, willing, and able to forgive us and to cleanse us, not only from the sin itself, but from the effects of sin, the unrighteousness, the feelings uh, that go along with it. There is, then, the fellowship, and there is the agreement, the confession of our sins. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, then, John goes on and says, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, And he is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John says, I'm not writing these things to you so that you will just sin indiscriminately. I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. And that tells us that as believers in Christ, John certainly knew God knows, we all know, as believers in Jesus Christ, the battle with sin doesn't go away, it continues. We need something in this battle, something that would point us in a direction that will provide help and continue to provide cleansing because that blood of Jesus Christ is available to get the bad stuff out. So that we can experience that cleansing from sin and from unrighteousness. And the thing he points to is the price that Jesus Christ paid for our sins. He is the propitiation for our sins. I want to tell you something tonight. Just something to take with you. Take home. Take it through the week. You see, we've got a simple choice put before us. We either have to confess our sins and deal with them, or we have to get comfortable with them. <laughs> That's really the only two choices. We have to confess them and deal with them, or we get comfortable with them. But listen listen to me. No believer in Christ, not me, not you, no believer in Christ can ever get comfortable with their sins unless they close their eyes their mind, and their heart to the cross of Jesus Christ. If we look at the cross of Jesus Christ and think about the price that was paid for our sins, we'll never be able to get comfortable with our sin. The cross, the fact that Jesus Christ then is the one who pays the price, the propitiation for our sins is a thing that continues to keep us in the battle. Now, in this whole concept then that I've preached to you tonight from all sin, there's really then we see a couple of different sides to this equation. On the one hand, there is the spiritual side of us That part of us that is born again, that is a participant in the divine nature and that is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that's what Paul calls the new man in Romans chapter 7. And I want you to know that when you were saved, you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that inward man, the spiritual side of you, which is very real and which is in fact eternal, that spiritual side of you, that inward man, your immortal soul, as we like to call it, was completely cleansed of sin once and for all. And not a single spot or stain or blemish of sin will ever be on your righteous spirit again. That comes to you because you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved. You're born again. But unfortunately, that spiritual side of us lives in this fleshly side of us. And this fleshly side of us is still marred with sin. And the potential of sin exists. It does. And unfortunately, the practice of sin sometimes comes out. It does. That's why the Bible tells us to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. That's why the Bible reminds us of this passage. I'm writing this to you so that you don't sin. So that you remember the incredible price that was paid for your sin. So that you don't become like what Simon Peter warned us about. One of those people who has forgotten that they were cleansed from their old sin. All of us had that potential. A good friend of mine says that I quote him a lot. We're all just one step away from stupid. The older I get, the more I realize what a short step that is. It's not a, we, 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 can, we can do some stupid stuff sometimes. But the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's pray for one another. Pray for our people as they're scattered all around us. Pray for the people of our community. Pray for the people who may be watching us at home. We're praying for you too. Because all of us need to remember that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's stand together, please.